Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg, and I'm just checking in with you. Checking with you on Friday, the 17th of May, the day before the election here in 2019. If you're listening to this in five years, you'll know how things ended up. So this is it's always interesting when you think that podcasts will hopefully just kind of live on and you're forming essentially a time capsule of what life was like. Um, I mean, even I can go back five years of my own podcast and listen to my voice and go, shit, oh, I wasn't doing too well that day. Anyway, today on the check-in, a super special guest, a special check-in episode with James Matheson. Yes, James Matheson, checking in on the state of the world, talking about democracy before our election tomorrow. Before we do get into that, I want to thank everybody that left a rating and a review on iTunes. It really, really means a lot, really helps people find out more about the show and um, really helps the rankings. Um, and the better ranking we have on this show, the better I can say to guests, hey, look, see my ranking, the better guests you get on the show. So if you want to help the show, if you want to get better guests, if you want all that kind of business, just if, if you, all you have to do is just, if you want to tell me something about the show, anything at all, use the iTunes uh, rating and review system and I'll just read it out from there. And that way you uh, get what you wanted to hear across and I read it and then everybody wins. Um so thank you very much to uh, Newsfan123, uh, who wrote, uh, without a doubt, Osh's take on this world. His newfound respect and passion for life is a massive motivator and constant help to me. Osh, your depth of content and amazing words are only surpassed by your guests, which seem to get better and better with every episode. See, it's working. This is why this podcast is my new weekly favorite. Loving the weekly catch-up, check-in episodes as well. A good idea and another way to make the podcast even more personal. Your content has been a massive factor in being able to keep me and my mental health in check and to know that it really isn't just me going through these thoughts in dark places. You're awesome. And uh, thank you for that beautiful review, newsfan123. And a very big thank you to you, uh, J9, who wrote, Osher must be one of the best interviews in Australia. His guests are interesting, plus Osher brings out the best in them as his interview style is relaxed and real. You actually feel a part of the conversation. Well, thanks very much. That's the idea. That's the idea. Thank you so much. Um, oh, this is a nice one. JT13 wrote, I've listened to Osher's podcast since its inception. As a psychologist, I love his focus on mental health, nutrition, motivation, etc. But most of all, I love hearing his own challenges and victories. Absolutely inspirational, but always with a foundation of kindness and compassion. Love your work, Osha. Thank you, JT13. That's super cool. Um, I really appreciate them. Uh, if you do have something you would like to tell me about the show, good or bad, doesn't matter. Just uh, pop into the iTunes review system. If you're, I mean, I know a lot of people listen on Android and a lot of people listen online, but it seems the one that, that people look to, the industry, I guess, standard of, of most um, controllable ratings uh, is the one iTunes. So if you're on Apple, it would really help. So to check in with you this week, um, I've been training every day again. And guess what? It's a no-brainer. When I don't train, my head feels shit. When I train... Still feels shit, but I can handle it a lot easier. That makes sense? I had another day yesterday. I know I've talked about this before. I had another day yesterday where um, 10 a.m. guy was behaving as if 10 p.m. guy did not exist. Had no idea that 10 p.m. guy would be along in a few hours and everything was going to be fine and he'd have a belly full of dinner and be on the couch having a nice cuddle with his wife watching Sailing Houses Australia and things would be okay. But 10 a.m. guy was pretty sure the world was going to end. I have to remind myself a lot more. I might even put a note in my phone going, it won't feel this way in 12 hours from now. Just hold on. And I think that's super important. 
But I'm getting, uh, I'm, d- I'm doing a lot more work. As, as you know, if you've been listening, I've been going to a new therapist. Acceptance commitment therapy is the modality, and it's been re- real helpful. Uh, been really helpful. Um, I'm getting, I was explaining to the guy who trains me the other day who writes down all the things and tells me what to lift and then I go off to a gym and I lift it and I come back and see him every week or two and go, hey, I'm lifting things. Anyway, he asked me how I'm going. I said, I'm getting better at carrying the weight of the things that are in my head. I'm getting, I'm getting better at experiencing the feelings, even the uncomfortable ones, because it's not about avoiding the feelings. We've talked on the show heaps. We talked with Susan Anthony about this. It's not about avoiding the feelings. It's about getting better at experiencing the feelings because when you avoid them, they just get bigger. Um, it is tricky to talk about. It's tricky to describe, but getting used to the idea that the icky feelings will always be there is kind of tough. Like feeling that go through my body, feeling that the dread course through my veins, knowing that that's probably going to be there forever. That's a bit shit. But knowing that I'll get better at dealing with that is what makes it more okay. Like, it still sucks, but I'm able to be with the suckiness of it more and more. It, it's a lot like the gym. So last Tuesday, I was down in Melbourne and um, I could do my sets of deadlifts at 100 kilos. I know other people deadlift a whole lot more than that. I'm not in their bodies. I'm in mine. So that's what I was doing. That's where I was. I was at 100 kilos. I was pretty excited that I hit 100. It's nice to hit round number. But this week, same exercise, I was able to do 105 kilos. I was able to lift 5% more than I could last in just a week, just six days of recovery. I was able to do that. My body's adapting to the stress of the training, becoming more resilient, allowing me to carry a heavier load. And it really is, I feel, it's the same with my head. It's still hard to lift that heavy weight. It still hurts when my muscles are rebuilding with the delayed onset muscle soreness, the DOMS. That still hurts. But all those things make me stronger and I'm able to carry more. And it's the same, same in my head. Like, it still sucks, but I'm able to get better at it. And, you know, maybe I know people who lift a lot of weights, they talk about hitting plateaus where they're no longer able to go up in those 5% increments. Then Maybe they're not able to go any further at all. Maybe I'm on the very kind of tip of the edge of the plateau as far as my mental health goes and, like, I'm kind of just – it's tricky to get any better. But, you know, so the increments are a lot smaller than 5%. That's pretty big. But I do feel a change. I do feel a shift. Um, And that's good. But I just got to keep doing it, man. That's just – that's it. Just accept the things I cannot change. Have the courage to change the things I can. Fucking St. Francis was right. Anyway. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, so let's check in with James Matheson. Now, if you don't know, James Matheson is my former Channel V and Australian Idol teammate. We ran side by side for many years on television and we've kept in touch and we're, we're still friends, which I'm very grateful for. James is also the former campaigner for the federal electorate of Warringah up against Tony Abbott. He ran for parliament and I was there on the day, I was handing out flyers for him. It was brilliant watching him perform and watching him campaign and watching him do all the interviews and deal with people like Andrew Bolt, etc. It was extraordinary watching him do that. James is also the host of the television show Thrones 360, which is the wrap-up show that airs after Game of Thrones on Foxtel, which the last ever episode of which comes out this Monday. I'll tell you right now, there are spoilers in this show. Um, in five years from now, you'll be listening to this going, we all knew that the whole time. But if you're listening to this on Friday, Saturday or Sunday or Monday, uh, just know there's spoilers. Um, it is an election tomorrow in Australia. So how about you, me and James sit down. Let's talk democracy, let's talk about what's working, let's talk about what isn't working, and let's talk about an option of what, we, what else we might do to figure out how to fairly govern and manage the sustained existence of millions of people. So come to my kitchen table and have a chat with my dear friend, uh, father, and in my opinion, a man that will change the world, James Matheson. You're right, you're right there, Jimmy. Is this on? Are we on the air? We're on the air. <laughs> We're now on. Well, we could. How like, do you start a podcast? Some of them they just go, "Oh, hello, <laughs> welcome." Yeah, pretty much. I could do a. My next guest, I've known since May 2000. He was a young man who was still from a young a, man. A BP service <laughs> no. <laughs> formed an incredible career. Uh, James Matheson and uh, at my t- we've sat around this table a few times doing the show, and I couldn't be more thrilled. We uh, have. Thank um, you, brother. Always lovely to see you. It's great, and um, I'm and I've got to thank you so much for your very sweet message when you discovered that Audrey and I had done a sex and a baby's coming, um, because you, I don't tell you this enough. And I don't think I ever did. I was doing the first season of Bachelor and I was still, my head was still kind of reeling from divorce and like, what the fuck, what happened? I don't, I was on the way and now what do I do? And I'm un, I was unemployed three weeks ago and now I'm in this city, flown in urgently, to, you know, I'm hosting this show and wow. And it was one of our friend's son's first birthday party at a rotunda uh, I won't name them, but it was at a, at a park by Vaucluse or something like that. And I approached this rotunda and all the guys we play poker with were there and there's these like $2,000 prams with bags hanging off them and all kinds of accoutrements and breast pumps and like 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 five grand worth of shit, like 
and they were all parked up around the rotunda and it was like action stations and everyone had to have all this stuff with them and there were people, everyone's babies around the same age and people were kind of like, oh, don't touch that, don't touch this, and don't run there, and don't run there. And I looked across and there's you and your partner walking across the grass and you just had a little baby in your elbow tucked up against your collarbone just covered in a shawl <laughs> and that was it. Probably barefoot. And you were barefoot. <laughs> and I looked at you and I thought, oh, thank fuck there's another way to do it because all I'd known and all the messaging I'd been exposed to through a relationship I'd been in the past was just it has to be at that level of there's so much consumption and buying of things mm. and if we don't have this when we leave the house, it's an emergency. And I just watched you wander across and then at some stage through the afternoon, Carly just kind of like, I'll just grab her. And then there was a bit of breastfeeding under a shawl and then and then we were just chatting and just like, oh, no, she just had a feed and she was just asleep in the crook of your elbow. I thought, far out, man. Thank you, James, <laughs> for showing me there was another way. So while I'm, you know, we did buy we did buy a pram the other day. It's on the way. While there's happened, times I'm, you're going to need a pram, absolutely. I, I, yeah, but, I know. Don't get me wrong. It was just more of the messaging of like, yeah. oh, there's another way to do it without all the. I've been told I have to leave the house with this many packets of this and this many, you know, amounts of that. And and I just saw you guys being so minimal about it. Oh fuck! Thank God. <laughs> oh, that's lovely to hear. It really inspired me and it really yeah. made me feel quite safe oh, that's about good. the thought of having a kid. Yeah, I never really thought about how we were doing it. We were sort of just making this up as we went along, as everyone does. Yeah. But I think there's probably aspects of how you do it that are derived from your own view of the world, you know. And, yeah, I, th- I think we use the baby carrier a lot. Like we use the baby carrier a lot because just, you know, I think it's really awesome for them to be pressed up against you. The thing you strap to yourself. Yeah. Like a backpack for the child. Yeah, it. yeah, but not the one where they're facing out, you know. It's nice when they're young to be snuggled in. I think that's a little bit later on. Um, but, yeah, the, the thing is it's awesome. It's super exciting for you. It's like life-changing in a way that you can't really understand because there's absolutely in my life there's – BK, before kids, and AK, after kids. Like it changes your brain and how you view the world and um, your priorities around what you think are important are instantly shifted. But like people have been doing it for 200,000 years, you know, all over the world. It's not like we're the first generation to have kids, you know, and so people just work it out. And the more you can – this is what I tell people, the more you can – um, be in touch with your own intuition, the better you can parent, you know. But if you're racing around all the time, if you're fueled up on caffeine or if you're trying to wind down just but with booze, then you, you're, that intuitive part of yourself is inaccessible. And then so you're like trying to mentally work out what I should be doing here rather than going, okay, what is it that is required? We've got an incredible experience ahead of us. And I, I, I talked to Audrey the other day, like we've already cast the ship off. We, we've left, you know, Liverpool. We've cast away and we're on a boat on a one-way ticket to Sydney Cove, you know, and we're currently on this sh- ship and we'll never return to the old world that we knew as a relationship, as the three of us with Georgia. And when we land there, there'll be all these other people who are experiencing this, like, 
as it is occasionally. Like I'm 45 and so I missed the boat. I missed the boat on a lot of other people like yourself and the other guys we play cards with being around when they had kids. But there are other people in our lives that are pretty much due that week. 100%. And so we'll arrive and they'll be there. And I'm, in many ways I'm, I'm so not worried because I'm just surrounded by men, my brothers included, that have all done this. And they've probably included, probably, you know, dealt with every problem I could probably want to face. And all I just have to do is ask. You can think of the most loveliest person in your life, but also has to, might be the most disorganized dropkick, you know, and they've done it and their kids have turned out all right, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you just like are patient and kind and calm. You can't really go wrong, and you are, so, you know. But you're right, it will change, but everything changes. Nothing is permanent, nothing, nothing, you know. Uh, Heggy's got this great line. I remember when Heggy was having his, his first kid and he was a bit worried because him and Emily were still uh, but very seasonal uh, as far as her employment was concerned as he was, you know, as a stand-up and he's doing construction on the side and she was doing makeup. And he's like, oh, yeah, keep it a bit tight, but... He said, we called them in Queensland, we called them Bevins. Everyone else in the world will call them Bogans. He goes, Bevins have got no cash and they have five kids and they do all right. We'll be, we'll be fine. Just buy less shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be fine. That's not taking away of like, you know, it, is, it can be an absolute squeeze on a lot of people, you know. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, he's right, you know. We get really caught up in it. But it's also new and exciting, you mm. know. And you know what I've noticed lately is I've got a six and a four-year-old is that I've never – prior to having kids spent that much concentrated time around children, you know, and that's the magic of it really because kids, not just your kids, children are so fucking awesome, you know. They're just absolutely magic in how they view the world, how they're learning about the world, how they put ideas together and, you know, even if they weren't my own kids, I think if I was like early childhood educator or in a family daycare and spending that much time with children is just transformative to how you see the world. Yeah. When, um, like, obviously, obviously when, when Audrey and I got together, people basically asked us. They asked us from the, the day I said, oh, yeah, this is my girlfriend. And this is Georgia. Oh, you're gonna, you guys planning to have more? It was like, oh, so much, you know. No one, no one, you know what, no one really pushes you and hustles you to have a kid like another guy who's already got one. <laughs> <laughs> People say it's, it's women and nanas and stuff like that. No, no, it's men my age. You've already got one going, dude, come on, get on it. Because <laughs> it transforms men. Yeah. Absolutely. And I look forward to that. I look forward to that. And I look forward to the way it, it transformed our family. There was a moment when we moved, the three of us moved to Bondi and we got Frank, that dog right there. And the three of us having, and we were all still, still very new as a family unit. You know, I was still the, I'd gone from being mum's boyfriend to now mum's fiance. You know, and uh, you've had your breakfast, mate. Chill out, dude. And um, we, uh, you know, we, we got Frank and it gave the three of us an object of love that we could focus on. And that's the only reference point I have for what might happen when baby comes, that as a family it will change our relationships again together. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. How did you go with your oldest one when the younger one came along? Uh, the, well, she loved it. Everyone loved it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
She was super excited about it and still is. And they're best friends, you know, to this day. They're just in love with each other. So we're very lucky. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, having a calm, like the world is fucking crazy. Um, there's madness out there. People are all very emotional and excitable and getting sucked into things that, you know, don't serve them. So if you can create your house as a sanctuary where there is, you don't bring any of the shit from the outside, you, you emotional unhinges and the things that have set you off outside, just don't bring them into the house, you know, you create this real sanctuary. And I think kids respond to that, you know, not just having a safe space but having a place that where they can have a counterpoint to what can be a super hectic world a counterpoint where they're like, ah, oh, this is what is possible. This is this sort of stillness and calmness is possible and then they can sort of connect to themselves and when they go out, they're like, oh, wow, the world is a bit mental, you know. But if you let that come into your house, if you don't have a delineation between, you know, the craziness and the pace and the just – there's a lot of emotional self-regulation that's not happening out in the world but if you can have that counterpoint in your house, you know, I think your kids can sort of clock the difference mm. that there is, oh, there is, the, you can live like this and that the outside world is a little bit different, you know. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. How did you manage that when uh, like four years ago you were running for the seat of um, Warringah and there must have been, a, there was a lot of noise going on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's happened in three years in terms of how I think and how I feel about politics and, and how I sort of manage my own emotions, I reckon. But then I was fueled by just this, I, w- I don't want to say fury, but I was just incensed that, you know, Tony Abbott, who was my local member, was trotting out the same rhetoric he had for like 22 years. And, you know, and people who've lived there have seen it and heard it over and over again and were like, is there not an alternative? And so then I was like, instead of just yelling at the TV, why don't you actually do something, you know? And so, yeah, that's why I did that. And so it was a really tricky time for us as a family because it's super stressful getting involved in that. You've got to get dedicate a lot of time to it. You can't give the focus you need to the family. You've got to be trying to agitate and get people to think about politics when most people don't want to think about politics or at least change the way they currently think. And so, yeah, it's, it's stressful and it's draining and um, you've got to be really quite committed to doing it. But that's campaigning. Politicking is different, you know, actually developing policy and voting on decisions will affect people's lives is different to campaigning. And campaigning is gross and it's awful um, and elections are horrible. But at the moment, it's the best of a bad bunch, I reckon, in terms of systems that we've got. Wow. Was it Winston Churchill said that democracy is the... The worst of all systems, the, apart the, from all the others that we've tried? <laughs> yeah. Something yeah, like exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's the best, something along the lines of like uh, it's, it's the worst idea that we've got, but so far it's the only one that we've found that can work. Or better, something, than all, better than all the alternatives. Better than all the alternatives, yeah. something, like, something like that. I had, um, I had Stan Grant sitting in that chair a little while ago. I'm going to run it in a couple of weeks and I asked him this question. Do you think just the very nature of what you've described 
the the grubbiness, the stress, the the deal make the grubbiness and the stress of of campaigning, <coughs> then combined with the deal making and compromising of you know what you got elected on to get things through and deal making that is required in politicking. And then the grubbiness of being in the public eye and as we've seen in this particular campaign, how very little, if anything, is off limits. Do you think that keeps the best people out of the job? Yeah, absolutely. What's the incentive for good people to get involved in that? When they see that they'll put their hand up, they'll get dragged through the mud, anything they've ever said in their entire history will be used against them, not seen in the best light. There's no intention to go, oh, okay, you said that. Is that what you meant? No. We'll just slur you with it, whatever material we can find because our objective is to win. My objective is to defeat you. It's adversarial in its nature. So there is no way for me to try and beat you without trying to paint you in the worst possible light. And so when good people try and put their hand up because they care about the impacts that policy has and get ridden out of town, then there, there is little to any incentive for good people to go through that, to go through the campaigning, to go through the um, mud raking, the muck raking that happens. So, yeah, absolutely. Why would you do it? Why would you want to get involved? Unless you're super passionate about it, but then you're in the system. Then you're in the system where you have to actually perpetuate this broken idea. That's, that's the thing that I, I think about maybe the campaigning part I could go with, but I've watched enough Game of Thrones and Veep episodes and the thick of it episodes to know that I might feel, I don't know, let's say really strongly about uh, putting a bike path in a certain part of the city and there's one person's vote that I really need to get that bike path along and he's like, great, I'll vote for this but I need your vote to uh, push the, the Adani mine, for example. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you haven't got my vote. And then I'm like, fuck, man. <clears throat> well, that's, that's horse trading, you know, and, and that exists, absolutely. Um, what about, you know, your Penny Wong in 2010? And obviously, you want to advocate for marriage equality. You believe in it very strongly. You're a lesbian yourself. You're articulate and passionate. But you know that the best chance for your government is to maintain a unified front. So you tow the party line, even when your heart, your conscience, the very way you view the world and your relationship is at odds with that. And so that's the party system. So we're talking about a few different things, we're talking about the party system, which means you have to compromise your principles for unity, the sake of uni- a unified idea. Um, campaigning, which is grubby and dirty because, in essence, I have to beat you to win. Um, and then horse trading, which means I'll have to give you something that I don't necessarily want to do in order to get something that is important to me or to my constituents through, which is crazy. So what I've really come to realise, and this sounds crazy, but there's lots of movements around the world, is that you have to get rid of parties, elections and career politicians. (laughs) And that's not saying you get rid of democracy. There is an alternative. And the alternative is popping up around the world, but not so much in the political sphere. Um, If you commit a crime, right, you have to go to court. And who decides your fate? A jury of your peers, Mm -hmm. 12 people. Now, where do they get those people? Do they run a campaign to be, oh, I'll be the best juror. No, 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 I'll be the best juror. No, no, I know about, you know, criminal law. Where do they get them? Just 
that you get a letter in the mail, you're randomly selected. You are randomly selected. And so we randomly select people to hear informed arguments and make decisions about people's lives. And that is our criminal justice system. Do we think that's a good system? Does that seem to work? It's the best one we've got. Why, what if we just got really wealthy people to populate juries or just got all men all the time to populate juries? Do you think that would sway the type of decisions we would get? 100%. You'd yeah. see a definite social class go to prison. You'd see a definite racial class go to prison. Right. So the idea is called sortition. It's, it's basically randomly selecting who sits in our parliament. And the initial reaction always from people is like, that is fucking crazy. But the more time you spend on it and the more time you think about this idea, the more sense it makes. Recently in South Australia, and there's a great group in Australia called the New Democracy Foundation, and they helped set this up. South Australia were thinking, should we have a uranium disposal unit in South Australia? What Can that help us economically? in terms of giving us potentially billions of dollars. Um, and the government said, you know what? We are going to set up a citizen's jury. We're going to randomly select people. They're going to hear arguments from um, leaders in their field, experts in industry, and they will make a decision together, collectively, and talk to each other to try and find the best solution, not for themselves, but for their state and for their constituency. And it's an amazing model and it works. Ireland have started doing something like that. They don't actually come up with the, the bills that will be passed. That They make recommendations to Parliament because the Irish have a lot of outdated statutes, you know, whether it is blasphemy around abortion and all of these sort of things through a citizen's jury have been moved forward through to Parliament and they make a decision there. And people are like, well, what if my, like, racist uncle gets into parliament? You Look at fucking parliament now. <laughs> Fraser Anning, Pauline Hanson, you know, Erica Betts. There are already people in there who are not great advocates for rational, metered thinking, but are they representative of pockets of society as we know it? Absolutely. And, and shouldn't they exist? in a democratic system or do we exclude the ideas of people who we find abhorrent um so that that's the first objection people are like that's crazy why why, how would we even entertain that um because of the the likelihood of having just absolute numpties in there but we've already got a few numpties in there but if you had a selection process where just like say conscription and you had 150 people, because that's how many electorates there are, 150 men, 150 women, each get randomly selected, so we've got a 50-50 split across the sexes, and then we say to them, look, we can train you up for six months, we'll pay you for five years, um, and we'll retrain you in the end to re-enter the workforce at the end. You need to just, we need to do a couple of checks, make sure you're not absolutely mentally unfit, haven't got a propensity for committing crimes, or uh, going to try and rot the system once you're in there. And if you agree to do that, so you have a a few checks and balances to make sure you get people who have a minimum standard of capability. Um, And then they go, yeah, okay. And they're in. And they serve their five years. And then they spend the next six months helping train up the next group of citizen politicians. And the training, does it involve 
decision making does it involve you you would understand the process of you know um, forming bills and passing laws yeah you would do training around um, conciliation working to find common ground with people within that 300 odd constituency um, and you would yeah hopefully do some critical thinking skills some behavioral psychology to understand why people decide what they do so that would help you in terms of coming to a decision with someone who you might disagree with in terms of their worldview so i think i guess the other thing that you you didn't mention but is a a, a big problem in many democracies very big problem in our democracy is uh money Mm-hmm. And in the influence of money in politics. Sure. So what? How do you insulate these people from? I guess as a jury, they all sit in a holiday inn somewhere, waiting for the, you know, their time to come, and then they get ferried back and forth. They can't watch TV and all that kind of stuff. Are they isolated in a similar way? No, 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 no. They live their lives mm-hmm. just like politicians do at the moment. But you know, you have a, a like a federal ICAC. So if you know, if they, is there? an idea that they might be getting bribed or they might be receiving remuneration for a particular lobby group, you know, just like uh, ICAC or just like any, if you are evading tax, you know, the government has the ability to, you know, check your bank accounts and find out if there's anything untowards going on. I think the idea at the moment is that money can influence an entire party. And so once that happens, everyone within that party is beholden to tie the party line and vote along the one particular platform, you know. I mean, if you've got 300 people and you want to sway a vote, you're going to have to be bribing a lot of people. Is that what you're sort of talking about, how this is open to being exploited by the people who yeah. have a lot of money and want to try yeah. and... I've seen, I've seen if, you, if you're using the jury analogy, we've all seen enough courtroom dramas to have seen, like, for example, in, in, in uh, The Untouchables where they, they switch the jury. Yeah. Uh, or, you know... I, absolutely, it can happen. But, you know, in a, in a jury you need a unanimous decision, mm-hmm. you know, and so you really need to pay off one or two people, you know. This is, this is 300 people and either that becomes completely financially impractical for a business or a corporation or a lobby group to do or it's just not going to happen on that sort of scale but if it what how is that different from at the moment you know mm. uh, an extremely powerful and well-resourced business trying to pay off a politician in many ways i think like this is a great idea jim how in the fuck are you going to sell it? <laughs> how the fuck are you going to let the people who have held on to power and who are on the road to being in power, mm. staffers from parties who've been doing their time since they were in the young Liberals, Nationals, Labor, whatever, since they were 15, who are waiting for their time in the sun. Like by the time I'm 35, that's when I'll get the seat. I've been working 20 years for this. How do you then convince them this is it? Mm. So you don't have to convince them. With any idea, you don't have to convince everyone. You know, you just have to convince, you know, 5 to 10% of the people and then something can hit critical mass and an idea starts spreading. You know, you could say that about any big social change that's happened. This isn't, this isn't going to happen next year. No. This is 15, 20 years away. But sometimes an idea that seems crazy at first, once people get their head around, it starts to get traction. You know, we're seeing a lot of talk about universal basic income lately. 
with any idea, you know, it's got to start somewhere. And you can start small scale. You can start with community groups. You can start yeah. with local council. And once you have a model for something working successfully, mm. then you're able to export that around the world. You know, in Colorado, you know, marijuana is illegal, you know, and it only took one state to go, okay, this is a model that can work and it's pretty safe and the harm is pretty minimal. And then another state goes, oh, look, they're doing it there. I know. They're doing it there. Now Canada is like, oh, look at those states. They did it successfully. Now Mexico is like, oh, we might jump on board. So it's amazing how in this era uh, an effective model that works better than what we've done for a long time can spread quite quickly, you know. I mean, we like we spoke about marriage equality earlier, but, I mean, in, in 2000, I think, you know, Holland got on board and said, yeah, let, let's do it. And it took us almost 20 years in Australia later to do something which seemed quite obvious. So the difference between an idea being good and making sense and having people behind it to actually becoming a formed reality can be decades. But, you know, the, the, the starting point is you have conversations. I heard the other day that it's... Like th- this sounds great. This sounds freaking amazing, and it would. I really am very interested, and I want to talk more about it. I heard the other day that it's easier to imagine environmental Armageddon than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Oh, absolutely. So, how do you begin to show that? Do you have to wait until the majority of people are like, hang on a second, we've been voting for these people for the last, in this country, in 119 years, and look who's benefiting from it, not us, in a way that they are. Okay, now now I've had enough. First, you have to bust the myth that the system that we have currently is the only system that will work, that is capable of working, that, and that everything else is anti-democratic. That is an illusion and we've bought into it so heavily that anyone who sort of talks about different models of democracy get called, you know, Marxists or communists. And, and, but this is, this is the very heart of democracy. This is what I think, you know, they imagined in ancient Athens, like the people themselves having the power. What's going to happen is this. We will slowly realise that there is no way that the current system can perpetuate and then we'll start thinking about different models. And that will only happen when we reach a crisis point. I don't think we're that far away. You know, this election, and you saw it with, in really stark ways with the Trump election and Cambridge Analytica. Did you follow that story? Yeah. yeah so when I you're getting no Facebook products on my phone, pretty much. When you're getting big corporates who have access to your data and can profile individual voters and tailor a message to them, which is distinct from that of their neighbour and that of different members of their family, just to trigger emotional responses that will compel them to vote in the way that that big corporation or that big party wants them to, you no longer have a shared reality. And so once that happens, it's as if you have a a jury in a courtroom and you've got 12 different lawyers whispering, whispering different messages into each juror's ear 
trying to dissuade them from a guilty verdict. And so none of them have a shared reality to make a communal decision. And so that's what's happening with campaigning. I mean, it's happening here slowly and we have to be really wary of it. You know, and I, I saw that um, the Liberal Party was sending out in Cantonese to specific pockets of Western Sydney where they knew there was high concentrations of Chinese propaganda saying that, you know, a vote for Bill Shorten will be a vote for safe schools. And, you know, the Chinese in those areas of Sydney are traditionally quite conservative on those ideas of um, gender and sexuality. And so they've, they've tailored a specific message for a specific demographic in order to get a specific reaction from them to persuade them to vote a particular way. You know, that's, that is only going to happen more and more and more and more. Um, you see it. If, if you look at your Facebook feed versus the Facebook feed of um, maybe your parent or your cousin, uh, it's going to be dramatically different. Now, if that's where you're getting your primary news from, how are we going to get to a point where we can make communal decisions if the information you're exposed to is not just different but almost opposite of that being received by your neighbour? So that, that is hugely problematic. That exists now because it's beneficial for the tech companies to do that because they want you to stay on longer. They want you to be more engaged. They want you to see content that aligns with how you see the world at the moment. But that runs counter to how we as a group have to make decisions. And we can only do that by having face-to-face conversations with people who we disagree with and trying to find some sort of shared values. And, and we can't do that when we're sort of dehumanising the other just behind a screen. Yeah, the anonymity of online uh, argument has allowed things to become so extraordinarily volatile mm. that uh, many arguments devolve so rapidly yeah. into like the galvanizing of a position. And, and, and in many ways, I see it as um, I had uh, Joe Thornley on the show. We were talking about cult uh, indoctrination. About Colton, not the band, unfortunately, even though someone we know plays in that band, um, indoctrination into cults and how YD programming is often so futile because they get them at a certain point of vulnerability, all right, and they sell them on this idea, usually an appeal to purity and an enormous threat of harm if you turn away Mm. from our ideal. And then they say... Now, at some point, someone's going to tell you what I'm telling you is wrong. Mm. And you'll know that when they do that, they're out to get you and they don't want what I want for mm. you. And what I want for you is this appeal to purity. Mm. And therefore... They're suppressive. Exactly. <laughs> and so, therefore, whenever you say online to someone, um, I don't know, actually vaccines are good or, you know, maybe vitamins aren't, you know, so required. Maybe everything you need is in your food or, I don't know, nuclear is a lot safer than you think it is. <gasps> This fucking roar. and then instantly people are so galvanized into their opinion that it gets even you end up driving them further down the tunnel, f- further de- deeper underground. That's right, back further behind effect. the bunker. <clears throat> yeah, it's the What's, backfire effect. Right, um, where you know sometimes trying to pull someone out of a position which might be illogical um, will only harden their resistance to that if you go about it the wrong way. So. It's tough to do at scale, though. Tough to have those conversations at scale. Um, But that's why this is a a great template in terms of demonstrating 
how the conversations we have in large groups when they're actually person to person, when there's a shared reality, are very different. You would have also seen on Twitter, some the group uh, sort of incubates itself from ideas that will run contrary to how the group already sees the world, you know. So you understand when you post something that um, whether it be political or social, you'll probably get blowback from what is the, the opposite side. But what keeps you in line more than that unconsciously is the blowback that you will receive from your own group when you step outside of those perceived boundaries. And so that that's this sort of self-regulation that we find online mm. um, and there are positions that people will think about but they simply won't advocate for because their in-group will turn on them, you know? And I am part of a group that is notorious for that. I took a photo of me because baby's coming, so I got a flu jab and a whooping cough jab and I took a photo of me having my vaccines and I put it on Instagram and, and some one goes, you, it was outraged, typing in caps, I demand an explanation. You, you owe an explanation to your fellow vegans while you think it's okay because those vaccines have been using animal products. So you you owe an explanation to your fellow vegans as to why you think it's okay you should do that. Mm. And I think I wrote back something along the lines of, because I'd rather be an alive vegan than that. <laughs> but, but, but also exactly, the answer is you, you don't. Yeah, I, exactly I don't right. owe you anything. Exactly, actually. but that's exactly the behaviour you're discussing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you would see it absolutely. And, and you would have seen the blowback in the last 12 to 18 months from vegan bloggers who one reason or another have found that I need to add bone broths or occasional fish to my diet for my particular body type, metabolism, mm. nerve system. It's different to yours. And there are things that I'm finding I might need and they will be absolutely hauled over the coals for that, you know, because they are looking after their own bodies in a way that they deem is best for them. It's a betrayal. How <coughs> it's a betray- dare how? you? You betray you all ate, of us. You ate a fucking oyster? You Get out! You Get the fuck out! You <laughs> traitor. Sedition. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that. It's the tribalism. But in saying that, if, if he was with you, mm-hmm. if you had run into him at Chemist Warehouse and you told him that, he'd be like, what are you, what are you doing? Aren't you, aren't you a vegan? Yeah, I am, but also these things are important to me as well. He's like, oh, interesting. The type of discourse that you have online is not real. It is an illusion. But what is not an illusion, well, actually, it is an illusion in a sense, but what feels very real for most of us is the emotional reaction we have to those confrontations. That feels just as real as if you'd said the same thing to my face. But the interaction is confected Hmm. because people say things, express things in a way that they simply would not do face-to-face. And that's why nothing, nothing that can be said to another person, for the most part, cannot be taken at face value when it's said online. And I know that's a massive call, but if you said to anyone, would you have expressed that in exactly the same way if that person was sitting with you and 95% of the time that's not the case, you know, which means we have a problem Mm. because we're assuming that that, the dialogue we're having on our phone, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Reddit with another person is reflective of 
real life or as valuable as an as a face-to-face conversation i heard the other day on the, one of my it's my brother introduced me to this great podcast should this exist the woman that the woman that founded Flickr, um the photo sharing website before there was instagram um she's a vc now and she um basically gets an entrepreneur on who talks about their big new invention and then talks to like five or six big industry leaders and goes, okay, they want a like supersonic flight. They want to build this again. Should this exist? And it's, it's really fascinating. And one of them was about a facial recognition software allowing so, uh, basically teaching your machines what your emotions are, all right? And they went into a bunch of really interesting things about communication that only 7% of any communication is the actual content, the words, all right? So a text message, you're missing 93% of intention and 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 meaning. Mm. And I, I kind of thought about that a lot. And, and what are we robbing ourselves as a society by removing that eons old buffer of I've just... I just said someone looks fat. Now I see their face change. Now I feel horrible inside. Oh, dear. That's probably not the right thing to say. I'm sorry. So you've said four words. You're fat. I'm sorry. And nothing's been said in between. And you suddenly change your opinion because of, oh, you, I've seen the ramifications of what I've just said to this person sitting in front of me. I've seen their hurt feelings. I've seen their face change. Oh, dear. I'm so sorry. I, no, that's... That, that shirt's tight is what I meant to say, <laughs> or whatever. You know, what are we robbing ourselves of and, and by missing out on that? I thought that was a really interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, and also on top of that, we are being uh, conditioned and incentivized to behave in that way. We're rewarded on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram for that type of behavior. You know, you get more followers, you get more clicks, you get more engagement. The, the angrier or more upset someone is about an article, the more clicks you will have, the more you will have someone following that particular news source. And so if we are incentivizing people behaving poorly, um, then we've got a bit of a problem in I terms remember, of technology. I remember years ago we were sitting on set at Channel V and one of the camera guys had the Daily Telegraph there and I was just up in arms about how the fuck would you print something so horrible? It was around the, um, the Tampa that refugee issue around the Tampa and I was just so outraged that they would print someone new using exactly the same tone of voice you used just then. Mate, it's not about that. People buy outrage. They buy fear. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like how did I not know this? I was, I, was, I was reacting. I was so reactive back then. I was just so reactive to everything I read. Mm. And, um, and I, I don't know if – I, I was certainly along a lot – along with most of the population, I'm sure, who did not have an idea that I was being manipulated emotionally by this newspaper, which is now multiplied a thousandfold by by what we see uh, on our phones every day. It's in now. So previously, if we wanted to avoid emotional manipulation, we wouldn't buy the newspaper or we wouldn't um, click on a news site. But now we've got a product in our phone 24-7 that with just with a glance can trigger those sort of reactions. And so mm. our ability to discern, you know, when we're getting played and when we're getting manipulating is getting worse. Yeah. We're having less capability of working that out. And Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you see do you see regulation of, of Facebook as a part of and Facebook and Google, for example, as a part of this shift towards a new way of democracy? No, I mean, how do you get, how do you regulate that? How do you what what do you even do? What are they going to do? Just weed out the most troublesome elements in terms of getting rid of you know racist or hateful content? That's great, but that doesn't change the fact that I am having my worldview shaped specifically to reinforce how I already see things. That, that, that doesn't change our ability to find a common ground. So I, I don't think that really makes a difference. Well, the reality is we need to find ways to come back to community, you know, where we actually are engaged with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, I, I think there is a generation coming through, although they might be absolutely obsessed with social media and Instagram, but I kind of get the sense that they'll go, ah, is this it? You know, they've scrolled for hours and realised, ah, is this it? You know, is there not more to finding uh, purpose and meaning than just looking at my phone? I'd, I'd encourage you to explore uh, Roger McNamee, who wrote a book called Zucked. Mm. Uh, waking up to the Facebook catastrophe. Yeah, right. Um, if not, if you don't have time for that, just check out the, sh- the show he did with Sam Harris. He's a VC from Silicon Valley. He's been in tech since 1984. He got Sheryl Sandberg hired. And has he, has he got kids? Ah, uh, yeah. Are they on Facebook? Pro- he's on Facebook. He talks about that. He's right. an investor still. Right. Um, but he talks a lot about that and about the recommendations that he's making. Like this guy's a he advised he advised Zuckerberg for seven years before he went to IPO, and he got Sheryl Sandberg hired. He he had known Sheryl Sandberg for twenty years before that, so he knows these people and he knows how it runs. And he's like throwing his hands in the air, going, "Everyone, stop! You got to listen to me. This is not great, right? At all. I won't say who it is, but someone close to me, um, their eleven-year-old child, googled their own name three days ago. This is a kid that doesn't have a phone." My face and Audrey's face showed up. Crazy. This 11-year-old kid and he has that many data... Well, I've disclosed it to he now. Has that many data points already on him and location, where he Googled it from, etc. the IP address, mm. the, all that shit, that my face and Audrey's face showed up. Now, that's pretty scary. Yeah, my, my phone is... is is listening to us now. It's true. It is. It's true. Could yeah. you go some Baker's Delight? I could really go some Baker's Delight. <laughs> How good is Baker's Delight? Baker's I, Delight's amazing. Um, those Vegemite scrolls at Baker's Delight, I'll report back to you and I'll see. I'll, I'll tell you what happens in terms of what I get recommended in yeah. terms of 
Google ads in terms of yeah. uh, content on my Facebook feed. Yeah. yeah. Screenshot me your Baker's Delight ad. Um, <laughs> when it comes so on your Instagram. It's, it's happened before. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's happened before. Yeah. I think I spoke about it here maybe last time when we were we wanted to get a trampoline for the kids and within an hour we hadn't searched, we hadn't done anything. We were just talking about it in our house. She was getting ads for trampolines in her feed in her google ad feed and i'm like okay this is fucking terrifying yeah but um yeah how do you be part of the world mm. uh, startpage.com i found to be a lovely antidote for google i oh, get rid of google right and then get rid of my smartphone and turns just turn siri off uh, i think siri's off is she si- hang on we'll find out siri are you off oh i don't think so no, probably not. That's okay. Um, She's around. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, we've got some problems, but we've also got solutions to the problems. We just have to sort of start being honest about, yeah, you know, what type of society we want to live in, how we want to get there, and then what are the processes that we'd have to have in place. Um, but we're hooked. We're all hooked. We're so, hooked on everything. So We're hooked on the emotion of... Mm getting outraged we're hooked on the emotion of elections and parties oh look what the fucking libs did you know Mm. we need to start detaching ourselves from the emotional high that we get and even that we think that we don't want to feel that but we do we do want to feel that are we in an abusive relationship with that democracy yes with everything but the only way to, and this goes back to what I was saying at the very start, the only way to try and have that counterpoint is to try and start manifesting that sense of, you know, calmness and stillness in ourselves. So we catch ourselves when we're like, fucking can't believe these guys. Who do they think they are? You know, whether mm. it's on the TV, whether it's a sports result, whether it's um, a politician. Yeah. And notice, oh, okay, why did I react like that? Why did that re- how did I let that reaction in? You know, what is it about that? What picture did I have wedded in my mind that is running counter to that? Yeah. So when you're having discussions like this about <laughs> I'd like us to have a conversation about an alternative to democracy. Mm. Or, no, I, no, I want us to have a conversation about the alter- an alternative to our democratic system. Yeah. I want us to keep democracy but I want us to have a conversation about how we might change the system that, of how we're governed. There are, in my view... Uh, an element of people who it's like they've gone to WWE school down in Miami where they learn how to be wrestlers and they learn, you know, how to act off the cuff when they're in the middle of a thing in the ring having and one of them turns heel and then the, the drama happens but they have to kind of improvise it so they'll have to learn how to act. And there's one particular MP uh, up in Townsville and she was being asked about her opposition's, um, you know, idea that this coal mine shouldn't go ahead and her first words were, oh, because that person wants us to burn cow pats to make dinner. No, she doesn't mm. want us to go back to how we used to cook food 30,000 years ago. There are more modern alternatives, well and truly, but this idea of quick, what's the worst possible, possible, possible alternative to this, and then say, well, that all that person wants to do is to have us let everybody in and then they'll be going out with your daughter. Mm. No. That's not it. Like, I, how think, do you, I think they get trained to do that. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that In they Miami? Would, <laughs> probably not in Miami, but there would be party room meetings or there would be resources available for them to go, okay, if you asked, they definitely have media training. If you're asked about this, 
Switch to this. Yeah. yeah. Point the blame somewhere else. Yeah. Deflect. Never. And, and that's the thing that is problematic. And this is the thing. If you've got a room full of people and you said, do you think democracy is the best system? Everyone put their hands up. And then if you ask them, do you think it's working for people? Do you think politicians are honest? Do you think that they are doing the will of the people? I don't think you'd have many people's hands up. And so there's a disconnect. We all think this is the best system, but we know it's inherently flawed. How do we try and bridge that gap between those two massive contradictions? So how do we do it? Uh, Look, I think, you know, maybe not this time around, but maybe next election. And I think I spoke spoke last time that I'd run a start a new party, but I think the only way to do it is actually start you know, advocating for it in the public realm. We, we're going to be the party that ends all parties, you know. The party's over party. I love it. But uh, you have to... Pop. Vote for you, pop. <laughs> you have to use... We voted for FAP last time. Yeah. Let's vote for pop. Fat pop. But I think, you know, when I was here last time, I was thinking, oh, you just need a different form of party or a different way of doing things within the party. But the parties are the problem. Yeah. And the only ways to in a way, burn it to the ground and give power back to the people. And people are terrified of that. They're terrified that that regular people would make the right decisions. But that's there's this illusion that politicians aren't regular people, that they've gone through some sort of special training or some sort of elite group that, oh, okay, we'll defer our power to them because they know best because At they're best, politicians. At best, they've all gone to Sydney Boys High. <clears throat> At they, best. I mean, if you look, <laughs> it's not a good cross-section. You know, none of those people have been on welfare before. None of those people have been seriously on the margins of poverty mm. for. Most of those people are, as you said, you know, from private schools. This is not just the Liberal Party, you know, uh, either lawyers, former unionists, um political lobbyists who have turned actual politicians. So there's not a cross-section And then we'll go back there. to lobbying in the off-season. Oh, within about 20 minutes of yeah. leaving office. Yeah. So we, we know it's broken. We just need to have the courage to go, okay, what would be one of the options to try and change it? Does it happen when we become a republic? Like Australia Day. What? Like I'm just asking, like, is it an opportunity to hit reset when we become a republic? No, because that'll happen, you know, in the next five, ten years, won't it, you know? Did Stan talk about that, that that's the ideal day to have Australia Day? He, he wants to get rid of Australia Day. But that is, that is the day you have Australia Day. When we become a republic. It's, it is a no-brainer. Yeah. It is a perfect day. And we don't even have to wait for that, you know. We just go... Okay, we need it around the same time. It would help. So make it, I don't know, 1st of February, change the date, and then when we get to become a republic, then we go, oh, we'll do it. We'll pass that act on February 1st. So we don't need to wait for a republic to change the date. We change the date to something close to Australia Day, so we've Mm. got the same sort of summertime, schoolish holidays. There's a familiarity to it. And then when we become a republic, we tie that in so the day not just has some sort of random date, it has some sort of semblance of meaning and history to it. What if we got like, I don't know, PwC, Deloitte and McKinsey to form a three-way partnership to sponsor a mirror, uh, what's the name of the, what's it called again? The kind of thing you're putting together? Uh, It's called... Basically, it's called sortition. But sortition. Yeah, it's called. Yeah, we're calling it a democratic reboot. Okay. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you know, we got these three, you know, big 
conglomerate think tanks to go, all right, we'll pay, we'll, we'll do it half the size mm-hmm. or maybe we'll do it full size. We'll do it 300 people and we'll run it over three years and we'll get them to consider every bill <laughs> that the federal government plays, you know, we'll, and we'll, we'll run it. It's brilliant. And then we'll put press releases out every time it happens. And then for the next five years, we're like, okay, so these guys voted for this today. Here's what someone from your area who lives on this in this suburb who has this many kids and grew up this way voted for and here's what this person voted for. Like basically, mm. you know, and then use that every single time over the next five years to go, here's how different it is, just imagine. Yeah, it would be amazing. The trouble is that big corporates don't want that to happen. You know, they want to make sure that their money can still be used to influence those people who have their levers on the hands of power. And so you would need some sort of very wealthy, um, Let me just altruistic. George Soros, I've got his number <laughs> in my phone. You need um, you need one of those uh, Atlassian guys to, yeah. you know, they're forward thinking and they're, they're quite wealthy. They'd want to get involved in something like that. Someone who doesn't have you know a, an entrance financially into trying to perpetuate the system as it is. They would be really interested in it because they would get to be a part of helping design the open source software, open source software that could allow this thing to happen mm. without a centralized location such as Canberra. The the thing is as well, people have to remember that it would be people making informed decisions. So you just wouldn't throw 300 people up there with no idea what they're talking about. You would have as I said, real experts, leaders of industry, people who have actual experience in the specific field that we're talking about. I know you've got politicians voting on bills to do with people's mental health, to do with um, environmental protection that have zero background on that. And a lot of times, and they've admitted to this, Barnard B. Joyce admitted to this last year, sometimes they don't even read the background briefing to the bill that they're voting on. They just do what they're told because in the party. You cannot tell me that informed, regular people committed to serving their community wouldn't make better decisions than that. Look, mate, I, <laughs> I agree. You're I, on board? Great. I'm on board. I'm here. I'm right. here. I'm yeah. absolutely here and I, and I feel we should make – I feel what you and I should do is we should make a, a long-form, like 90-minute uh, exploration into this. Yeah, let's do it. And we'll, we'll make it – just like a film, put it up there uh, along the lines of like so the stuff that Sonia Pemberton does like with Jabbed and the stuff she did, Vitamania, she did about vitamins and, and things like that. Um, or even like the Todd Sampson style, you yeah. know, make it shiny. There'll be explosions. Um, totally. Or we team up with this sort of conversation needs to be needs to well and truly. Yeah, let's do a 90 minute because it, it's also not something that the people who are advocating for it have just dreamt up and gone, oh, this will work. There are working examples and also once you start thinking about it and you really try to poke holes in it, you realise that it's clever and it's more democratic than the current system we have. Like you just, once it sits in your brain, you're like, oh, my God, this is actually really good. And when it comes to selling, selling this to the public, who knows more about the injustices of the public vote? Mm, than then the Yeah, than the two men who saw over the disposal of Ricky Lee, the loss of Shannon Knoll, the win of uh, Natalie Gauchy over now uh, Matt Corby. Um, I mean, that is... Uh, that, that is we're authority figures. I get asked to this day, was Shannon robbed, you know? Um, and I always say, 
just go back like two weeks before the finale and watch Guy do When Doves Cry and then fucking tell me that Shannon was robbed, you know, because uh, that, that shit's magic. <laughs> I, I just tell them that um, it's like MasterChef, we, sh- we shot two finales and we aired the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, you fucking what? Um, um, and then send them on a wild goose chase looking for the Shannon's version of Angels Brought Me Here, which we, sh- which we shot. There's a video clip that exists. I'm working at the moment on um, this Foxtel Game of Thrones recap show and, I mean... It's late at night, so not an enormous amount of people watch it, but I've been stunned. I haven't been asked about a show or any project I've worked on as much as when I was working on Idol since I've started working on this Throne show. Throne 360 is the name of the show, and it's, it's, a, it's a live, it's in front of an audience, there's people in cosplay. Um, oh, they're mad for it. People are crazy about it. But George Gregan's on the couch and you keep a straight face, which I was very impressed with, actually. <laughs> yeah, you do what you can. <laughs> Super lovely. I love George. Um, but, yeah, people are right into that show. There's one to go. Um, and, yeah, I think I think talking about emotional self-regulation, people need to just – I mean, I don't want to talk down the fanaticism because it's an important part of who watches the show, but it's a, it is, it's a show. Guys, yeah. it's a show. But is it a metaphor? Is it a metaphor for climate change? Is that what the the the, the White Walkers were when we were as a nation having to come together to fight? One of the favourite things that we've showed on the show is this um, sort of supercut of reactions around the world. Can I do spoilers here? Uh, Spoiler if you, alert. If you are listening to this and you haven't watched, it's up to you. I don't think when it's a show as big as this, it's like when Breaking Bad was on. It's like... If you're in it, ah, ah, ah. don't do any Breaking Bad spoilers. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, oh good. Okay. Well, so if you haven't seen it, if you I won't say it. Right. If you, yeah. But it's like when it was actively on and new ones coming out every week, it's like it's your responsibility to keep up, all right? If okay. we're going to go to work and we're going to talk about this, you've got to make an hour. Uh, yeah. So I here mean, comes a something ha- There's a spoiler. When something serious happens to the Night King, I won't say the massive spoiler, but he dies basically. <laughs> And Arya um, kills him, and it's really good. Uh, there is, uh, we did a supercut of reactions around the world, and I have never seen the type of euphoria and craziness that people displayed when that happened, apart from, uh, say, a World Cup or an Olympics. E- even then. So something about the show has captured people in an insane way. I just, I watched those reactions and people were crying. They were out of their seats. They were screaming. It was pretty amazing to think that in an era of how divided we are in terms of fragmentation with what media we consume, that there's still something that people can get behind on such a scale. Yeah. Pretty cool. I felt really sorry uh, for people. uh, We were just talking about this yesterday. People who had invested thousands of dollars in their Daenerys Targaryen costumes and they go as cosplay. They've named their kids Daenerys. You know, they've got the haircut, they've got the tattoo and then she goes and fucking burns children for half an hour uh, Just and is still going as far as we can tell. She's just like we left her burning children uh, and incinerating people and she's still going. I love that. I thought it was fucking amazing. That. People were like, "No, no, I, she. Why did they? Why did the writers do that to her?" But I was like, "You, you have invested eight years of television watching in a really violent, at times sadistic television show, which is brilliant. Um, but 
you know, you buy the ticket, you take the ride. And also she that is a great metaphor for she was under the false illusion that in order to rule that you could do so with benevolence to get there. But you have to do the awful things, the horrible decisions and stamp your authority through terror. And and that's that's the great tying of the show, that she fell into the illusion that she could be different. She's Obama five years after the yes we can throwing drone strikes. I mean... <laughs> Oh, that must have killed him, but he had, you know, he did it. I think I, I, I sort of get a little bit upset when people are like, look at Obama, more drone, more drone kills than any other president in history. I'm like, dude, who else had fucking drones? Like, yeah. did LBJ yeah. have drones? No, but it's not did. a lot of competition yeah. when you're talking about drones. Yeah. But, again, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, and, and I certainly, what you're describing is I didn't quite understand that until to be honest, until it was when I first started going to Israel and I saw, you know, firsthand the effects of, you know, this is the violence that is required to hold this place in mm. place. Yeah. And how do I feel about that? Oh, right. Tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. And I'm sure, and here in Australia, we're quite isolated. I'm sure the violence that's required to keep our way of life the way it is happens well offshore and we don't see it, but I'm sure it does mm. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and it must be tough. It must be tough to be in the top job knowing that shit. There's that, what's that great scene in A Few Good Men when Jack Nicholson, before he goes into, you know, you can't handle the truth. Oh, that whole monologue beforehand. About, I, stand, you know, I wake up every morning uh, with, you know, 300 men, 500 feet from my house who are trained to kill me. You don't want to know that you, you go to bed every night in a, a, under a warm quilt that yeah. I provide. You, you know, don't want to know what men like I do. It's sanitized. It's easy from our little cozy apartment in the, a lovely part of Sydney. But anyway, so she's a great metaphor for yeah, all of that. Yeah, she is. She really and is. And people were angry about it and they were upset that she, her character arc yeah. had been so quickly wrapped up. But that, that's the nature of TV. I, I, I love it and I'll defend it to the death. Yeah. Speaking of the death, uh the final episodes on Monday. That's right. What's your prediction? My gut feeling is that uh, Jon Snow will be confronted with having to kill the woman he loves and his queen. Will not be able to do it, but in the same scene, out of the blue, Sansa Stark kills her with the dagger that Arya gave her in episode three. Stick it with a pointy end. That's my gut. Uh I don't know. There are so many fan theories out there, but I just feel like it will be a sort of metaphor for John always wanting to do the right thing, but not always having the, yeah. the wherewithal to actually carry through with it. And Sansa just being so um, strong and knowing what needs to be done and just fucking shiving her like a inmate with a toothpaste, a, a, a toothbrush, toothbrush made a out of a... I'm I'm very close, only because I'm a uh, I have I have witnessed the rhythms of the writing mm-hmm. over the years, and there is a Chekhov's gun that has not yet been fired, and that is Arya's face shifting technology, and yeah. so my vibe is that similarly, John will have to realise that Daenerys has to die, and Daenerys will get done by Arya, but who Arya will be when. She does Daenerys, maybe even Jon um, is up, but Arya will do. I like that. 
I think the trouble with that is that when she did that with Wilder Frey, we the trick's been played. So we saw Wilder Frey die, or she she killed him, and then the next episode, Wilder Frey's alive, and we're like, what the fuck? She killed him. Oh, she's a face switcher. So in order for that to work in terms of narrative, you would need to probably see her kill whoever's face she stole and then see them again and you'd be like, hang on a minute. So I'm just, I like that idea, but I wonder if it gives the game away as soon as you see Maybe them. she'll do Grey Worm. Mm. Maybe she'll do Grey Worm and then use Grey Worm's face. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out on Monday. We'll find out. Um, so this, uh, if people are listening today, elections tomorrow, if mm. people are listening tomorrow, <laughs> elections today, if yep. people are listening from five years from now, Hey, isn't this great? We did it. We have a representative democracy made up of the general population. Congratulations. It all started this podcast. Um, as people are lining up with the, you know, the smell of sausages in their nostrils, the tiny toilets that they are confronted by when they're at the primary schools, what are your thoughts for people as they, as they approach this moment in our democracy? Uh, well, if you're about to vote, then I would... Uh, encourage you to go to the sports bet wedding bet, sports bet betting website. Yeah, I'm going um, there right now. And I think you'll see across the top they've already pa- actually. No, I don't want to encourage betting. No, don't do that. I want to. No, I don't want I'm to not, encourage we're not betting. Bet. I'm just seeing what the market is, Jim. <laughs> no, but they've paid out Bill Shorten already. If you had money on the Labor Party, I'll show you. I'll show you right here. If you had money on Bill Shorten becoming our next Prime Minister, they have already paid out. So. In their professional opinion, the bookies, whose job it is to get this right, who have millions of dollars on the line, have already paid out for a Labor election. So if you are thinking of voting for an independent or someone else, uh, particularly if you're in Ringer and you're thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to vote for an independent because I don't want Bill Shorten to get in, it's done. It's over. Shorten is already in the lodge, but you can use your vote to make sure those people who are holding us back on climate action, um, and Tony Abbott's one of them, there are many around the country, use your vote to voice it in protest of how they see this climate emergency and how we're dealing with it. Because your, your vote, whether it's Labor or Liberal, won't matter. Labor are in already. Um, and don't take my word for it. Check it out on sportsbet.com.au or any of the betting sites. They've already paid it out. If they haven't paid it out, he's paying like a dollar eight or something. Better than worse odds that you get for Winks winning, you know, who was a sure thing all the way through. So it's done and dusted. Find out what issue is important to you and vote on those lines. And yeah, I just think um, uh, slowly but surely start informing yourself about sortition, about the New Democracy Foundation, about how we can do things different because the reality is the acrimony and the division uh, we've seen over this election cycle, it will only get worse. This is the new normal. Um, We can't go back to a safer, calmer, more um, inclusive type of campaigning. So the only way forward is to look back 2,000 years. Is that when, bloody, the Greeks were doing that? Probably longer. Probably longer. I don't know. I should learn the history. Anyway, um, that is true democracy. That, that's the word demos is, you know, of the people. Wouldn't it be interesting if the more independence they got mm. in, the easier it would be to dismantle the party system? That, that's an absolute way to do it as well so if you do have an independent who is popular in an area because what that proves is is that they can be trusted they are 
answerable to their communities and they can create change. And then you start getting more people who go, oh, yeah, I might vote independent. The party structure starts falling away and, yeah, we have a new normal. But it's it's us. We, we, we have the power. We're told that we don't, but we do. We just have to use it intelligently. <laughs> um, I'll start asking around about an EP. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Oh, yeah, we can do this. Okay, let's make it. Cool. It'd be awesome. Um, it might involve creating a, a few models and some cool animations. I'm into that. And a roller coaster. We'll have a scene on a roller coaster where we're describing things. Um, yeah, okay. There's one in Florida. Yeah. I'm about to have a baby. I'm not going anywhere. No, who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Bye, mate. That was James Matheson. You can find his TV show, Thrones 360. Uh, It'll be on Foxtel Showcase on Monday after Game of Thrones in the evenings. We were talking about something called Sortition. Uh, You can find out more about that at at sortitionfoundation.org, S-O-R-T-I-T-I-O-N. And you can find out more about that at sortitionfoundation.org. You can also look up a TED Talk by a chap called Brett Henning, a Canadian guy. A big thank you to everyone that made this episode today. A big thank you to Rachel, first of her name, gatherer of humans and organizer of lives. Andy Ma, my audio producer, for turning this one around super quick and making sure that Frankie and Lilo didn't intrude too much on our discussion about democracy. And Toehider, of course, for making all the music that you heard today. I'll see you on Monday when we're going to have a conversation all about mushrooms with Julian from Lifecycle. It is, hands down, I'm going to guarantee, this is the most exciting conversation, most interesting conversation about mushrooms that you've ever heard in your life. It is mind-blowing, the stuff that he has to talk to about mushrooms and why mushrooms are important and how mushrooms can help in many ways. Um, Good luck with Democracy Day tomorrow. Enjoy your democracy sausage. I know I asked you this last week, but I'll ask you again. Just whoever you vote for, just please make sure your vote counts towards effective action on climate, whoever it is that you choose. Because you may be worried about economy, you may be worried about the labour market, but there is no economy and there is no labour market, there is no real estate, there is nothing if we spend all our time and money trying to adapt to increasingly unpredictable and volatile weather systems, either they be extremely dry or extremely wet. So make your vote count, enjoy your sausage, and until we speak on Monday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Come on, come on. 